Recovery Elevator, episode 167. And as hard as this is going to be, I just made I made the decision that I just I I can no longer do this. Whatever whatever it takes, I was going to, you know, get sober and, and stay sober. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Daniel. He's, you know what? I'm just going to leave it at that. On today's podcast, we've got Daniel. But I can tell you it's an awesome interview. So you're just going to have to listen. Oh yeah, he does mention at the end of the day, he just didn't drink. And before we get to our topic today, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe R meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get started. The alcohol industry gave the government funds to prove light drinking is safe. Okay, that about covers it. Now, let's hear from Daniel. Daniel, how are you? Wait, wait, wait. What did I just read there? If I had a sound effect of a record screeching to a halt, I would insert it right now, but I don't, so you're not going to hear it. But hold on just an effing second. The alcohol industry gave the government funds to prove light drinking is safe? Hmm. Internal red flags are raising. Let's explore this a little bit. And if you'd like to read this article for yourself, it's in the show notes. Thank you, Mike Knoll, for doing such a great job with the show notes. You can go to recoveryelevator.com or just find it in the show notes in your media player. When I was a kid, I used to believe everything. We all did. But the older I get, I'm learning there's a lot of bullshit in life to navigate. I used to believe everything I read, everything I heard on TV, and especially what elected officials on both sides of the platform had to say. And I encourage you to question things that I say on this podcast. So at age 35, oh, internal bullshit meter just went off. Actually, when this podcast comes out, I'm 36, but when I'm recording it, I'm 35. So hey, look, we just we just uh, navigated through some bullshit right there. Problem solved. The bullshit I'm about to chat about is a little bit more deep. Some bullshit we encounter in life isn't that big of a deal, and people aren't going to die because of it. This stuff could be level one type bullshit. For example, carrots give you night vision. I tried this in the third grade, ended up with a bruised kneecap. That doesn't work. Here's some more level one bullshit. The five second rule, which is if you eat your food before five seconds after it falls on the ground, it's totally fine. The truth doesn't matter if it's been there for half a second or seven years. It could be extremely detrimental to your health. Who would have knew? Actually, I just said level one bullshit doesn't kill people. That last one, the five second rule. Yeah, that can do some serious harm. Let's look at some level two bullshit. Tryptophan in turkey makes you sleepy? Wait a second. Cheddar cheese has double the amount of tryptophan than turkey, and that doesn't put anybody to sleep. 
fitting for this podcast, experts say the uptick of alcohol consumption during Thanksgiving dinner is probably what puts us to sleep. Well, not me anymore, but you get the point. Here's some level three BS. The Great Wall of China is the only man-made object that can be seen from space. Heard that one when I was a kid, and I believed it for the majority of my life. And I'm not really sure why I lumped this one to level three, but it's got to go somewhere. So level three it is. Turns out you can't see the Great Wall of China from space. I can imagine on the original blueprint architectural plans for the Great Wall of China on page one, on the top, highlighted, bold, in type 800 font, this awesome wall must be seen from space. Oops. Bullshit. Now here's an example of some level four BS. We've heard that corn-fed beef is good for you. Well, it turns out this is a marketing scheme and about 90% of cows on a strictly corn-fed diet have the human equivalent of leukemia. If you think about it for a second, cows don't have thumbs to shut corn. And in evolutionary terms, cows aren't supposed to be eating corn. They're supposed to be eating grass. It's cheaper to feed a cow on corn, and that's the BS that we have been fed. Pun definitely intended. And then there's some level 5 bullshit like the study I'm about to talk about. So be warned now, when the NIAAA breaks this new study in a couple years reporting that light alcohol consumption is good for your health, just like carrots give us a night vision, remember that this article, just like alcohol, is total shit. However, this time it's on a colossal level 5 level of bullshit that most likely will cost lives. So millions of Americans' taxpaying dollars will go to waste with this study. But more importantly, and I don't want to sound grim, this article will cost human lives. There will be someone out there on the fence whether to drink or not to drink, and all it's going to take is this article to push them off the fence. So before we get in the article, let's talk about the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. This is the NIAAA. It's part of the U.S. National Institutes of Health. This is a government-established foundation. It funds approximately 90% of all such research in the United States and promotes neo-prohibitionist approaches to reducing the severe and sometimes fatal consequences of alcohol consumption. Sweet. Go government. Nice job to create this awesome establishment. I'm sure they're doing great things. Well, let's take a look at one of the things they're doing. Over the weekend, the New York Times published a bombshell report on alarming ties between the alcohol industry and the National Institutes of Health. Specifically, five alcohol companies helped fund and potentially shaped the design of a 7,800-person randomized controlled trial overseen by the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. The trial is supposed to answer the long-simmering question of whether moderate drinking truly reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease. The most shocking detail in the story, the researchers behind the study reportedly persuaded alcohol industry executives to fund them by arguing the trial represents a unique opportunity to show that moderate alcohol consumption is safe and lowers risk of common diseases before they had even enrolled their first patient. Since that line is highlighted on my printed out article, I'm going to say it again. They were delivering results of the study before they had even enrolled their first patient. Several questions linger. Why would one of the world's elite publicly funded scientific institutions turn to the alcohol industry for fundraising? If it needed money, why did it seemingly fail to set up an adequate firewall between the industry and the researchers? Why were the researchers promising conclusions before starting the study? One important lesson I've learned while doing 167 episodes of the Recovery Elevator podcast is that in recovery, 2 plus 2 does not equal 4. It equals Atlanta. 
Recovery is confusing, and thank you NIAAA for contributing to that. But it's also, unfortunately, to some degree, business as usual in science today. Dozens of industry-sponsored studies have shaped our perception of foods and beverages, from the blueberries we eat for breakfast to the red wine we drink with dinner and the dark chocolate we snack on late at night. This trial again shows the great prevalence of the belief that corporate funding has no influence on research. Bullshit meter level 5. So this $100 million study is designed to answer a long, simmering health question, brought to you in part by Heineken and Carlsberg. What the fuck? On the question of whether moderate alcohol consumption is good for you, there is evidence that it's associated with a reduced of coronary heart disease and a higher life expectancy. But much of this evidence comes from observational research, which involves simply looking at the correlation between certain exposures, i.e. alcohol, and health outcomes, i.e. heart attacks. And these studies can be riddled with co-founding factors. And experts say these positive health outcomes likely come from the fruit used to make the wine, etc. So we have sorely needed a high-quality randomized control trial data on this question, where thousands of people are randomly assigned to drink moderate amounts of alcohol or not and have followed for years. This could eliminate the problem of co-founding factors in the observational studies. But the challenge of a study like this, because it's 8,000 patients following them for years and tracking them closely, is that it's incredibly expensive, said Jason Block, a physician and researcher at Harvard Medical School. And it would be unusual for the NIAAA by itself to support a study of this size. So to get funding, the Times reports, the people who are going to be doing this study reportedly pitched leading companies in the alcohol sector like Anheuser-Busch InBev and Heineken. The results of these pitches, well, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, Heineken, Diageo, Pernod, Ricard, and Carlsberg helped pay $67.7 million of the $100 million government study. Oh yeah, and this study is currently underway, coupled with a level 5 tag of bullshit. So the point of this podcast episode is to warn you. Your addiction, and mine is named Gary, who lies to me in my own voice, will want to read this article and spin it in my brain and tell me, hey, Paul, look at this. Light drinking to moderate drinking is actually good for you. It'll be totally different this time. So the point of this podcast episode is to let you know you've got some level five bullshit coming your way, brought to you by the guys who are supposed to be helping us, the NIAAA. And now let's hear from Daniel. Daniel, how are you? How are you, Paul? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be on no the problem. phone with another like-minded individual, and I'm excited to hear more about your story. Daniel, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I think for me today is 128 days sober. My uh, my sobriety date is October 26th of 2017. So, yeah, 128 days, I believe, today. Nice job, Daniel. And before we get any further... Give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Well, I am 43 years old. I have a young daughter, Delaney, who's eight years old, um, in a serious relationship with a woman named Erin, great woman. Uh, I've been in sales for probably about 12, 15 years in mostly the telecom industry. I love running, biking. I've always been uh, I'm, uh, the athlete baseball basketball football you name it but uh, other than that as far as sports i, I love reading to audiobooks podcasts that sort of thing movies tv shows so i have a pretty extensive list i could go on here paul 
<laughs> Before we hit the record button, you mentioned you're a movie buff. Give, give me like, it's hard to say like, hey, what's your favorite movie? But what is your favorite movie or what's one that you, you just watched and you, you really like? So I can relate one to both of us. I can go with Goodwill Hunt Hunting is one of mine. Uh, you know, if being from New England, it's a pretty organic look at how we are, loyal, that sort of thing, very sarcastic. And then for you, uh, River Runs Through It. River Runs Through It was one of my favorites growing up. I have three older brothers, and I just uh, kind of related to that movie. I always, always kind of go back to that one. What's the quote in Goodwill Hunting? How about them cucumbers? <laughs> I believe it's, how about those apples? Uh, I, I, I just saw it a couple days ago, Daniel. I'm pretty sure it's, how about them cucumbers? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I know you might be right. There's, uh, I'm just kidding. There's edited <laughs> versions. There's zucchini, zucchinis and olives. No, no. I, no it's I definitely the, how about I the them apples. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I saw, I saw River Runs Through It, and after that movie... It was probably like 15 years or 20 years before I moved to Montana, but I always had this pull to Montana, and it didn't let down. I mean, it, everything that yeah, the movie portrays is just a beautiful, magical. It's just called the Treasure State. Go figure. So, yeah, I would love. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to go. You know, being being in exercise and all that stuff, I'd love to. You know, I do a lot more of it nowadays. But now I'm not. Now that I'm not drinking, so. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's a huge state. The secrets out i mean i don't know what that really means but there's a lot of people moving here because it's an awesome place <laughs> and if you ever come out we'll do a trail yeah. run together and i mean i got a mountain bike we i'd love to come out man i really would i really would I, you know that's uh sincere i i, I hear you guys going to dallas and uh these places and it'd be you know i'd love to love to get out to the maybe the next one the, the one in peru sounds amazing but uh that one's probably filled up right now 21 <laughs> out of 25 spots are full so really think okay. about it yeah yeah absolutely Oh, yeah, that would be an amazing trip. Life life changing, probably trip for that one. But, yeah, it's um, a bucket Pichu list. And all whether, that stuff. Yeah, whether you go my, with us or somebody else, me. you got to go. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the uh, what put us on the phone together today. Let's talk about your background in terms of alcohol. And so you're 43 years old. Talk to us a little bit yeah. about your background and when did you first realize? Wait a second, this might not be normal drinking. Well, I grew up pretty pretty abusive background here uh my father was a you know a lifelong alcoholic he drank every day all day that that sort of military guy so you know he was on a he controlled his own base in um new england it's a place called danvers very well known here um and you know he just drank every day so he's very abusive so and it, and it was everywhere around us it, it truly was every family party everywhere you went so just a bit about that that's where that's where i come from as far as drinking my drinking started probably I would guess 12 is when the first time I had alcohol. You know, I hear on your podcast people saying, you know, uh, it was this uh, this light went off. It, it, that didn't happen for me. I, I remember, you know, I was a little silly, whatever. But it, it, it led probably to the next time. It was probably years before I had a, had it again. And that's kind of when it started. H high school, I, I started pretty actively drinking. I was an athlete. I played everything. So, you know, we would drink on the weekends. It seemed easy to get for us, you know. So through high school, you know, in high school, I I probably was kind of a normal drinker. I maybe not though. I mean, there was always the. I think even the first time I drank, there was tendencies. Uh, but college for me is really when drinking just absolutely exploded. It's when I started. You know, I I got arrested. I started getting arrested. I um, I got a DWI. I crashed a friend's car. It, it just that's when I really knew. I I probably knew in my early twenties I was an alcoholic. So that that's when it really started taking off, and 
it really got it got scary. It got scary for my family. It got scary for me. You know, blacking out, that sort of thing, fights, you, you name it. So that's that's when I really started knowing it. So you mentioned your early twenties. Were you done with college at this point? When you realized you no, were no, I finished college. I finished college probably at twenty-three. So, but it, but it, you know, it it went on and on. For us, weekend started as on Thursday nights. And at this point, I'm a uh, just a weekend warrior. Monday through Thursday, I'm probably in the gym two to three hours a night. And then in the weekends, we are you know pretty much drunk all weekend, out till three or four in the morning, which which is kind of normal. And I look back on it, and you know. My friends were probably having a lot more fun than I was. I, I was always, I think, like kind of a medicinal drinker, kind of putting the pain away, that sort of thing. And when I drank, too, that there was a very, you know, really harsh tongue that came out as well. You know, that, that phase went on probably until I was 25. And then I moved, I moved about probably about 45 minutes away from my friends. And, mm-hmm. and that's when I kind of, the, uh, the idea of isolative drinking kind of came into play for me started uh this is the first time i ever started like drinking by myself and my friends really weren't around if you know and, this area and that happened all, around like age 25 you said yeah i'd say 25 my first real like apartment outside of college was uh 25 years old yeah and like 26 maybe you know right around there you know so i would you know work come home and you know just kind of like you know drink myself to sleep and that's really right around then is when i started i started you know i i take a day or two off, but but not really. I, I would uh, pretty much drink every day. Uh, drink every day, at least, you know, six to probably eight beers a night. And then the weekends, if I, you know, if I got to go out, then, oh, God, that was so much worse. That was, I, most likely, if I was out on a weekend, you know, drink to blackout. And, and Daniel, so you mentioned you around age 23, you said to worry alcoholic. I, I drank alcoholically. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. you're 43. I don't know if you got sober at age 43 or age 42, but that's 20 years of rinse, wash, and repeat is what it sounds yeah, like. I'm absolutely. sure there were some, yeah. maybe some dry spells. I, I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, just talk to us about that that phase. Well, there were, you know, honestly, there, there were different phases of uh, from 23 to 43. Yeah, there, were, there were even phases, even though I was drinking all day, there were phases where I, I would think I was okay. Uh, you know, you you know, as you know, you spoke on your podcast so many times. You know that that uh, ISM or you know, incredible short memory. It's it's kind of what happened. You know, I would I would still drink probably a six pack a night, but you know, I had a good job. I was paying my bills. I had a house. I had all these things, and you know, but every so often, even though you know, I'm I'm still probably drinking alcoholically. Every so often, I'd go on like a bender, and mm-hmm. you know just like almost like forget about life, you know, like two, three days where, you know, I barely had like a sober breath at the, in this, in this uh, vicinity too, is when I, I got married and I had a daughter, that sort of thing. So from 23 to, well, actually I met my wife at 29. So from 25 <laughs> to 26 to 29. Got married, no, okay. got married, had a daughter, that sort of thing. Sorry. <laughs> I just laughed. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those. I, I turned 31, <laughs> got a poodle, those yeah, that, right, that sort right, of got, thing. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. I was just got laughing. a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It says I love Ben, my poodle. Yeah, my standard poodle. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no. So from I guess from late 20s is when I met my ex-wife. Now we, we can go over that if you want. But uh, from there, my my drinking kind of diminished right there when I met her. 
Uh, I wasn't drinking every day anymore. It was more so weekends again. But eventually it started to elevate again. It started, you know, you know, she would say, you know, I thought you just drank on the weekends, but then it just started elevating up to back to every day. And there were still, even with her, there'd still be those times when I had those, like, Benders, you know what I mean? Like uh, two, two, three days of, you know, getting drunk. You know, I was one of those drinkers too, that when I really got like that, I just, you know, I didn't eat as well. You know, it just, it was just full on booze for me. And so when did you first take action on this or at least explore the idea? Wait a second, maybe, maybe we need to try this life thing without alcohol. I actually went to AA probably even before I met my ex-wife. You know, I even said the word alcoholic. I remember saying, Hey, I'm Dan. And I, and in a way, I think I even meant it. You know, I think I've, for a long time, known that I drank alcoholically. It, it's just, I couldn't really fully commit to the idea of life without alcohol. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, they do know it. Because I was in the rooms for a couple of years yeah. saying, hey, my name's Paul, I'm an alcoholic. I'm telling yeah. you I'm ready, but I'm not ready to quit. So I think for a lot of people, there's a phase. But then some people, they're not. They, they go to the first meeting, and it's they're one and done. So it, that part is different for everybody. And, and so was it like a rock bottom moment that finally spurred you into sobriety on October 26th, 2017 or what happened? No, it's kind of a gradual, so it's a gradual process here. So I knew I was drinking alcoholically. So at this point I'd, I'd been on my own for two or three years, you know, another failed relationship after uh, a failed marriage, which, you know, she's calling me on addiction all the time and I'm fighting it as, you know, you know, we do. And, you know, I'm, I'm comparing, you know, to this guy or whoever mm -hmm. that, hey, I don't drink like that guy. That guy drinks more than me, whatever. You know, not really taking a good look at myself. So that, that relationship fails too. And, and so I find myself alone and I started doing things that I that I'd never done in my entire life. Although I, I shouldn't say that. I, I had drank in the morning, you know, wake up. The, but the, it progressed to the point for me that I would get, I would get drunk, wake up to go to work, and I would start drinking. And there was even days where I, you know, I, I was at work, in my mind, underemployed, but who cares? I guess it doesn't really matter, but I'm, like, I'm drinking at work. And, you know, it, it, it was getting to the point that, you know, you just so out of control. I mean, in your mind, I, you know, I, I know you've talked a lot about depression and anxiety and all that stuff. And, and I've, I've had those things most of my life, but I'm starting to realize that 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 kind of drinking is what really what led to that. I was I was so depressed. I was you know I, I didn't want to get out of bed. And when I got out of bed, I would start drinking. So what what led me was I finally talked to my partner Aaron at the time and my mom, and I uh, decided to go to a detox. And, and Dan, you mentioned that you started drinking in the morning, and I did that as well. For one, sometimes it was hair of the dog just to make the terrible yeah, yeah. go away. But the consistent morning drinking was due to an off switch and that didn't work. It was a faulty off switch. As soon as I started drinking, I found it nearly impossible to start. And if I drank enough the previous night, then if I would wake up and have any alcohol in my system, you'd be like, boom, it's, it's game on again. Did you find yeah. the same thing with, with your on and off switch? Was it just difficult to stop once you started? Yeah, just just like you said, it, and you know, it, it really for people that don't understand it, or people that are listening that you know are in that same position, it, it, you're not alone. You know, it's yeah. I mean, if if I woke up 
once I started once I started drinking, it was it was over. And it, it not just when I woke up, pretty much whenever. I, I just I can't put it down. You know, one drink, as they say, was you know, the one that gave you drunk. So it's it's uh, first one I should say. Yeah, you mentioned the word detox. Was that inpatient, outpatient? It was inpatient. I did both actually. I did a I did a seven day detox for you know inpatient where they're trying to monitor you to get you Mm -hmm. to a place that they feel safe, and then I did like a thirty day outpatient. Oh, thirty day outpatient is that you said? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And when was the thirty day outpatient? So this was prior. This is a, so I had another period. This this detox was before I got sober. I stayed the seven days. I think I I was sober for you know I, it was in May of the, the same year. So okay. my sobriety date is October, and I you know I try. I had another stint in May where I tried to get sober. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and then from May to October, what happened then? You know, the incredible short memory again, Paul. I like that one. It's one of my favorites that you use. And it's it just, uh, I think I was about 25 days sober and I decided to push the limits and say, hey, I'm going to, I can drink again. I can, you know, just after going through a detox, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's normal drinking, but I did. And I started, so I, I started drinking and I still, I would take days off now and I'm trying to convince myself I can do it. I can just take days off, but it just, you know, as progressive as this illness is, it, it just led me back to the exact same thing and worse. You know, this this time I ended up in a like a, a hospital on a gurney in the middle of a trauma hospital. If you if you were here, they, this is a it's a local hospital and it's uh, it's a tra- trauma hospital. So they they did not want me there. So they you know the first time yeah I was treated great as far as the detox. This time it was uh, a little bit different experience. It, it, it was it was definitely my lowest point of drinking. My my rock bottom, as you say. But, I, but I've had a lot. You know, there, there's a lot over the years. The, the incredible short memory, um, I'm going to ask yeah, you if you could really share is. with us a time. And but let me just comment of how ludicrous the incredible short memory is. So I was traveling in South yeah. America. This is 2000 and, yeah, 2014. And yeah. I, I did a trip to the Amazon in Bolivia. And um, there was no alcohol. I mean, there was no convenience store, no 7-Eleven. Hey, I'm just going to take a hollowed out tree log, tree trunk, and just paddle down to the 7-Eleven. That wasn't even an option. There was no alcohol on the trip. Yeah. And so after four days of sobriety, the incredible short memory was like, whoa, I'm not an alcoholic. I, I, I said the three most dangerous words. I got this. And I tried to drink normally. Like every country on that trip. It was like, well, you know, I just did a, I just did a 12-hour bus ride sober. And, and then I ended up drinking a lot of bus rides, but it's just, it's asinine. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a yeah. specific moment where you experienced the incredible short memory. Incredible short memory. Yeah. So as I, as I told you, I've just been a long, long time for me coming. So I guess I can relate it right back to the, the last time it was, you know, imagine going to a detox, you, you go through this detox, you're, you're trying to get yourself healthy, healthy. They're, they're, uh, putting you on that they even wanted to put me on these you know antidepressant medications i think i was i was suffering from some serious depression but then within you know 25 days i'm back to drinking not every day but drinking again and mm-hmm. over the next <laughs> over the next you know two months i led myself back to drinking every day and again ended up going on one of these benders that i told you about three-day bender and i ended up back in a hospital where you know I'm I'm on a gurney. I'm a very proud man, but imagine you're a, you're on a gurney. You know what I mean? You're on a gurney and the little thing, the hospital gown, whatever, and people are walking by, and it, it was it's horrible. I mean, all because you know this this 
stupid, horrible drug called alcohol. So that that was my that was really my lowest point, and and also yeah, that that was the incredible short memory that came back. But uh, so many times that over the years where I you know I I tried to quit. There was another time where I got a very significant you know fight. I had to go to the hospital, and you know within I and I quit then. But with within again within a month, you know I had stitches in my hands, I had stitches in my face, and like but you know you need to drink down. But. <laughs> Yeah, man. It's you it's mentioned crazy. earlier. It's insanity. It really is. That's the best word to describe it. And you said it earlier. It's yeah. an addictive drug, is what it is, and it's asinine how we it go. And like you said, I had so many rock bottom moments, and it sounds like you did too. So, what was the difference for this? Was it another rock bottom moment on October twenty fifth or twenty sixth, or did you just you're just done? What was the difference? Yeah, I think so. I think you know, it, it's. I just my family this time got so involved. My partner. Um, I even had to, so in my story, I went away for 30 days, not to a, not to a rehab or anything. I, I just took a hiatus and got out of Dodge for, and, and I was away from my daughter for the first time ever. You know, I, you know, pretty much talked to her every day. I still talk to her every day, but you know, I was away from her for 30 days and it, you know, and as hard as this is going to be, I just made, I made the decision that I just, I, I can no longer do this. Whatever, whatever it takes, I was going to you know, get sober and, and stay sober. Is that yeah, how you started days. your sobriety? You took a hiatus for 30 days? Yeah. And where, yeah, I took a hiatus. To down. My mom has, my mom lives in Florida. Gotcha. So uh, I took a, yeah. So then she, you know, supported me, um, you know, cause she likes her wine too, but she, you know, <laughs> took, took, uh, took some time off the wine. She's a, she's a pretty normal drinker. So took her, you know, 30 days off as well with me and, just kind of supported me. I did a lot of uh, soul searching down there. I, I uh, found some great people down there in, in uh, with AA, some great meetings down there all over the place. And, and Danny, I want to comment on a huge value bomb you dropped probably about two minutes ago, and I wrote it down. It said, at this time around, my family got involved, and the gal, I think Aaron was her name? Uh, yeah, Aaron's her name, yep. But you mentioned my family got involved and Aaron got involved. I mean, that is key. That is a value bomb right there because there's no coincidence with myself that my sobriety date parallels pretty close within a couple months when I brought those same people in my life on board with my problem. And I've been interviewing a lot of people and that's kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, I finally told my, told my parents, I told my spouse, I told this person, that person, and then the ball gets rolling. Okay. So, so pick it up yeah. after that. You're in your 30 days and, and keep going. Yeah. So like you said, I mean, that, 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 that was a huge part. I'm, you know, even the, the reason why I reached out to you is because I'm, you know, I'm very outgoing, but when it's when you start talking about yourself is when you, you kind of lose me. I'm, I'm guarded, I'm, you know, that sort of thing. So this time around, my family got so involved, and and I had to be accountable. I, I I just had to. I mean, they're you know, you're 43 years old. The last two times you got to this level, you ended up in a detox. You ended up in a in a trauma hospital. Although it wasn't a trauma, but you know, you understand. And I just I just no longer could accept that I wasn't an alcoholic. You know, non-alcoholics or normal drinkers do not end up in detox. They do not go on benders for three days where they don't eat. They don't lose jobs. You know, they don't lose family. Uh, so that's, that's just something I had to come to terms with myself, that I, I don't have the capacity to drink like a normal person. 
you said come to terms with oftentimes that takes years years for somebody to come to turn to terms with because yeah. i spent a long time finding every single way to drink normally where you know where it wouldn't affect those things that you just mentioned and it's profound you're right I mean, normal drinkers don't go to detox they don't and they don't lose jobs over <laughs> no, alcohol no yeah and what was it like in your first 30 days talk to me about cravings and and, and how, how you did it i mean it's hard i've done it myself it's, it's hard to get sober well i can talk about the the first time was really awful. The first time I went to the detox and then I, I'm living by myself and yeah, you guys, uh, you guys are always talking about on, uh, you know, the cafe, RE blue, you're, you're always talking about the LaCroix stuff. Well, I swear to God, I was going through about eight or nine seltzers or you know, we, <laughs> we, we drink a lot of polar seltzer out here. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was like, you know, you know what I mean? I was, like trying to use it like beer and then then i then i went to the non-alcoholic beer for a sec you know yeah that's the that's the right thing to do so so i would drink like five or six of those and that's the worst because you're like almost expecting something from it like if you could just give me a buzz and and it, it just wouldn't so you know that was horrible this time around it wasn't so horrible the first 30 days i was away from dodge i I was exercising a lot. I was, you know, I was in Florida, going to the beach. So it wasn't that bad. You know, it's still, it was still great. You know, you go, you go walk into a convenience store and all of a sudden you're eye to eye with your, you know, your drink of choice. And some of those times that you just, or are going to a restaurant, you know, uh, on Thanksgiving of this year, I was really challenged pretty quickly, you know, because everyone, we went to Thanksgiving out and everyone was drinking and, you know, I just got to. Again, I got like a seltzer water or, or with some cranberry and did, did my thing, but the, it, it's been okay. And, and nowadays, I uh, I'm not having I'm not having a lot of cravings. Yeah, it's fantastic news because it, it just takes time for the brain to rewire itself and the, the yeah, exactly, physical exactly. physiological cravings yeah. eventually dissipate. There's still there's still a thought. I still get thoughts, but then I just follow the drink. And you know, so you did the geographical cure. You went from you know New England area <laughs> to to Florida, which works for a short period of time. But in order to stay short sober time. for 128 days, you probably you've got to put more resources in place. And I know you signed up for Cafe Re Blue. You mentioned AA earlier. Walk us through a typical day in your recovery, Daniel. How, how have you made it to 128 days? Yeah, I do a lot. I'm a, I'm a very uh, monotony to me is not is not my thing. So you know, AA is great. I I I probably did the 90 meeting even more. I probably did 120 meetings in 90 days, but all over the place. I I, I found kind of a local group that was there. I even I even got a sponsor, which. I, I think I want to get a new one, but it, it's fine. It's you know he's he's been helpful. He's even tried to walk me through the steps starting. Um, but I've also read a ton. You know Russell Brand's book, The Naked Mind. You know uh, Untethered Soul. The list goes on. Yeah. Girl walks out of a bar. There's and, and, and listeners, if if this pod, if the last couple minutes of this interview doesn't seem exactly linear, it's because we edited it. And actually, a police officer knocked on the window of. Uh, <laughs> Of Daniel said, "Hey, what are you doing here?" And I bet that felt good to have contact with a police officer while sober. <laughs> and, um, you were yeah, talking about yeah, walk no, us oh. through a day in your life. But keep going. Sorry. <laughs> Isn't it funny though? That's funny that you say that. This could be another segue. Sometimes, like you'll see like a cop because you know, unfortunately, just like a lot of us that are listening, you know, I drank, I I drank and drove a lot. So you know, sometimes you you have like a, a police car go by you and you're like. 
just for a second, you get scared. Like, oh, my God, am I drinking? No, no, I don't drink anymore. So, yeah, it's funny that you, you said that. But, no, completely, completely sober. Not even a seltzer, actually, which I usually have. <laughs> and and what, I want to say something <laughs> real quick, too. I get probably one to two interview requests or interviewee requests, shall I say, via email from people who – have put on sobriety courses, who have written books, who are speakers and addiction counselors and this and that. And I always decline, but because yeah, that's just, that's not what the recovery library podcast is about. It's interviewing yeah. guys like you guys like me. And this story is, it's like, Hey, can you hear me good? I, I'm in the closet at work. Not like we're hiding it, but these are people that are taking the time out of their nine to five days. You're, you're in your car in a residential neighborhood. You, we're doing it. We're, yeah. we're in the street fight with alcohol. And I, I love it. I just think it's, I think it's so cool. It's courageous. What, what, what everybody has done who has shared their story on the podcast. So, all right. I just had to say that. So. Well, no, but I appreciate that. And I appreciate it. You know, and I, you know, I appreciate everybody that's listening and I, I, I so appreciate, you know, I, I guess that's why AA, you know, they say, you know, the first whatever, 24 hours or, you know, it's, it's so difficult to go back there and to start over. It's horrible, but you know, there is, if you get through, like you always say, those first 72 hours, that it's going to get better. You just got to kind of, you know, what Phil's saying about the storm, when the storm, whatever, you know, it's just, it is, it gets better. And now, you know, someone that's still newly sober, I'm four months in, it's already getting better. My life is getting better. You know, my, my relationship with my daughter is better. It's just life can get better. It's just, it is a street fight. Yeah. And, and with it before, before the police had to interrupt this important interview, we were asking you to walk us through <laughs> a typical day in your recovery. Yeah, typical day for me, I probably do four or five uh, AA meetings a week. Some, some, some good, some bad. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a huge proponent of AA. Other than I think uh, those, those steps can be a, a great thing for anybody, whether you're sober or an alcoholic. Uh, probably better for an alcoholic to go through some stuff. But uh, again, different perspectives uh, of uh, sobriety is what I go through. You know, I, I just read one called broken, a book called broken. It's uh, it was a journalist son that ended up, you know, an alcoholic, a crack addict, you know, just, just things like that, that to hear people's stories and know you're not alone, that sort of thing is more of my speed. I, I read a lot. So uh, read a lot, listen a lot. That, that sort of thing is really to get there. Cause it's just a, such a complex disease, you know, yeah, he says it's a simple program. It's a simple program, but this is a very complex disease. You know, you know, you have 200 people in Cafe RE or whatever it is, and every one of them is different. I guarantee. Yeah, we've got one huge thing in common, and a lot of drunk logs. Yeah. We yeah. there's there's some similar themes that we all experienced. Like, oh, we, I knew I was an alcoholic, but it wasn't quite ready. Like, we all there's a lot of things similar things we experienced. But you're right, it's extremely complicated, and there are a lot of differences. Yeah, it just is, you know, I mean, the, the things that we go through, our mindset, you know, everybody's different, they're rock bottom, how you, you know, the old, the old cliche is, you know, you, you know, you just got to stop digging, but it's a good one because, you know, everyone's rock bottom is different, you know, people end up in crack houses and, you know, for me, ending up in a detox or in a hospital, you know, it, it can't get any lower for me, uh, so that's when you, you really have to just take a look at your life and where you where where you want to end up? I'm, I'm relatively young at 43 years old. I have a lot of living to do, and I want to do that living. I think uh, sober rather than dealing with some some drug that's just gonna you know progress even more. 
Absolutely. A hundred, hundred percent. And you mentioned the word pride earlier and pride is something that it got for me at a football coach that drilled it in pride, dedication, desire. And I was always proud of it. Yeah. Pride is something we kind of have to take off and it could start ego. I remember asking for more, I think frosted flare, like Wheaties or something. And it, when I was wearing a suicide proof <laughs> vest in a jail cell after getting a DUI, like, sir, can I please have a second of frosted flakes? It was, yeah, it was I, a very I, unprideful I, moment. Yeah, well, I can tell you one in details. It's funny that you say that. And I, I had that moment, too. And I was, uh, you know, I think I reached out to you prior, and I, I told you I was an athlete. I played college baseball. I played basketball my entire life, you know. Yeah, that's um, right. And pride is, you know, part. I guess pride is part of athletics. But so I got to this detox, and I'm, you know, you're detoxing, and God was I detoxing. So the, the first night there, I went through four shirts and two pairs of pants because oh, wow. my body was it just it was just releasing the you know, it, i was sweating profusely mm-hmm. and to walk through that place and just be like this is all because of alcohol i'm, I'm completely soaked because of alcohol it's it was just talk about like a moment where you're just like, what the what am i doing like where where is this life leading yeah and you know and then insert incredible short memory <laughs> 25 days yeah <laughs> Right, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? it's crazy. It's but it, you know, yeah. And then I'm, uh, yeah. It's, I think it's a good idea to keep drinking. Yeah, and, and Daniel, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions, yeah, thirty to sixty seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Yeah, I think we there's there's a lot, but I have to go back to the the detox, and it's it's probably the second time I went to the hospital just that pride moment realizing that you know i had absolutely no control over this thing whatsoever and we've all heard of the aha moment when was your oh shit moment indicating that you can't control your drinking the work the the last time here working for a very large telecom company sounds like a real unfortunate episode but that, (laughs) that i could like i'm drinking at work i'm helping customers i have a like a a mug full of you know whatever i think it was beer i was trying to you know keep it Keep it light and uh, justify it. You know, people don't. Yeah, <laughs> just beer, guys. It's not fine. whiskey. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, that that was a pretty aha moment. Like most people don't do this. You know, they're, they're not drinking beer at their desk. So yeah, that was that was a, that was a good one. For me. And Daniel, how are we going to get day one twenty nine, one thirty? What's your plan moving forward? I want to stay accountable. It's why it's one of the reasons I I reached out to you. I want to tell my story a little bit more. I'm one of those people that I don't talk a lot at the AA meetings, but I, I just want to keep reading, keep gaining knowledge, uh, learning more about the disease. I think that's very important. This is this is a very very complex disease, and it's uh, we still know very very little about what uh, you know what actually causes it. You know, yeah, we have the we have the disposition, but how do you get from point A to point B as far as the disease? You know, and uh, I just want to keep learning. Yeah, what's your favorite resource in recovery? a combination of of resources uh the books are great but i, I love uh i love um, your podcast i love cafe re aa is great you know so i have kind of mixed feelings on that but i i use them all to kind of keep me sober thank you for listening daniel and i agree 100 percent. i no problem yeah there's no perfect program out there i use them all and yep i'm yeah. 6 p.m tonight on the calendar i'm going to an AA meeting so yeah right exactly that's uh that, that's for me i think you know listen to you over the last year or two you know you you sound very similar where you're you know you have some some random thoughts and that sort of thing and that's how i am i do i get 
I get a little bored with something, so I move on to something else. But they're all a resource for me to to, to keep plugging along with sobriety. Yeah. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received, Daniel? I someone I, I forget what to, it was someone on the podcast and the 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 one that you know to really think your drink through, you know the first one or two are you know they may provide relief but think it through and you're going to end up on a you know a three day bender that's uh, that's not uh, really thinking it through so I I'd like to do that now is really think through if I even see alcohol. Play that tape forward. I love it. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? You know, it's cliche, but if you're listening listening to this podcast, you listen to Paul and I, then most likely you're on the path, or you're already an alcoholic. You have to be self. You have to self-diagnose. It's about you. You have to make the choice. But if you're listening to this, most likely you're heading down the path of you know alcoholism or a really trouble drinker you're totally right you know what i mean i mean if you're searching for recovery that's how you find it in the podcast most likely you're you're headed that path and it might be time to take a real grasp on your life yeah i agree with that and before we depart give listeners (laughs) your own customized you might be an alcoholic if line daniel might be an alcoholic if you you know every night you go home and drink eight to twelve beers then you uh decide that you uh just want to Throw them, throw them away every night. You have to throw the trash away every night to hide the evidence, even though you're living by yourself. That's uh, that's my little moment that I threw the beer everywhere. <laughs> no one sees it, but I was still throwing it away. Yeah, yeah. Like because because a real alcoholic, they they would let their trash uh, just fill up, and they, they wouldn't be as responsible as I would. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's the thing. Exactly. You know, uh, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm throwing this away. My yeah. apartment's very neat as far as beer. There's not even beer in the fridge, you know. So yeah, in my <laughs> mind, that was uh, controlling it, but it uh, obviously wasn't. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. I want to close out today's podcast episode talking more about what Daniel said. He just didn't drink. Recovery isn't perfect. Life will happen. It won't happen to us. It will just happen. But at the end of the day, we just can't drink. Recovery is confusing. Recovery is foggy. It's murky. It's blurry. It's hard to navigate. But as long as we don't drink, everything will end up just fine. Most of the interviews I do on the Recovery Elevator podcast, they're fairly seamless. The interviewee calls at the scheduled time. We chat for a couple minutes, hit the record button, and boom, interview concluded. This one, just like recovery, wasn't so seamless. But at the end of the day, we got it done and we both didn't drink. So about two months ago, I brought my podcast studio from my home condo to my office. Thought I needed more foam. Turns out my microphone was unplugged and now I have an office totally covered in foam. Well, during this interview, there's a garbage truck that came to empty the recycling cardboard container. This is like 45 seconds of, hang on, Daniel, bear with me for a second. A large garbage truck moving a massive metal container full of cardboard. Not quiet. Oh, sorry about that, Daniel. Thanks for being patient. Let's get started. Ding dong, bark, bark, bark. Thanks, Ben. The UPS guy's here. And uh, I hang on, Dan. I got to go sign for this. Sorry about that, Daniel. Okay, where were we? A couple minutes later. Hey, hey, hey Paul, hey, hey, hang on one sec. There, there's a police officer knocking at my door. Turns out Daniel was doing the interview in his car, parked in a neighborhood, a random neighborhood, and a neighbor called and said, hey, there is a suspicious looking vehicle, a guy talking on a phone. Police officer investigated and said, okay, have a great day. We are back on track. 
I kid you not, three minutes later, ding dong, Ben, bark, bark, bark. Oh, hey, FedEx guy. UPS was here three minutes ago, so why not the FedEx guy? Hang on, Daniel. I apologize. Give me just 45 seconds. So the parallel I'm trying to draw is that recovery. It's not linear. Whatever plan you have mapped out for yourself, it's probably not going to happen that way. In fact, it's definitely not going to happen that way. But as long as you just don't drink, everything will be okay. You can't necessarily go back in recovery and edit out bloops and relapses and things like that. But in real life, you get to start again. I had hundreds of day ones, hundreds of start overs, redos, whatever, until I got to the point where I just didn't drink. Okay, recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.